Well, we want to continue in our uh, study of uh, Acts, and uh, we're going to begin with the Pirkei Avot. What are we talking about, right? Why would we ever do something like that? When was the last time you heard any kind of message on the book of Acts, and, and something in, from the Mishnah is, uh, you know, uh, shared? Well, it's important, uh, and uh, we're in Acts chapter 4, uh, toward the end. And, uh, you know, there, the Pirkeavot, some of you uh, have heard of it, others have not. Pirkeavot means sayings of the fathers, or actually Pirkei, sentences of the fathers, you might say. Words, not words uh, as, a, uh, as, you know, as a literal translation, but sentences, sayings of the fathers. And it's kind of uh, in the realm of like wisdom, you know, wisdom sayings. Uh, uh, not exactly like the book of Proverbs, uh, yet at the same time, you can read it very devotionally, okay? Uh, and uh, because of that, by the way, it's in the Mishnah, but it's not in the Gemara. That's kind of interesting. If, if you have any idea what I'm even saying, uh, okay? In other words, in the big thick Talmud, it's not actually in there, but it's only in the Mishnah. Uh, and so it doesn't receive the same uh, uh, commentary. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, it, it serves as like a standalone book. Uh, in fact, if you went over to Barnes & Noble, I bet you could find a book called Pirkei Avot, The Sayings of the Fathers. Uh, and it comes in varieties of ways, you know, with different kinds of commentary. And it's all very interesting. And uh, it, it does... Uh, really uh, explain, and it's very helpful, to learn like the values of Jewish life. What, what's, what's really valuable, what, what, what's important, what's not important, and, you know, and so on. So, toward the very beginning, the second statement, it's the second statement in the uh, Pirkei Avot, Hu haya omer, al shloshra dvarim haolam omer, al ha-Torah ve'al ha-Avodah, so, you know, what does that mean? He used to say, it was said, I suppose you could say, uh, the world stands on three words, three things. Word and thing in Hebrew, same word. Three things. Al ha-Torah, the Torah, the al ha-Avodah, service, and like a temple service, that, that kind of thing, or uh, ritual service, kind of what avodah would stand for. Uh, and then gimilut chasidim, and acts or deeds of chesed, deeds of loving kindness, deeds of benevolence, uh, deeds of loyalty, deeds of loyal love. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, I'm teaching this class on chesed, and yeah, the, the semantic range is uh, like home on the range. You know what I mean? It's like way out there. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because one of the things that we learn about chesed is that chesed is kind of like a concept, but the acts of chesed, what chesed actually is, can be all kinds of things. You know, uh, in fact, in this uh, Torah portion, uh, when Jacob asks Joseph, to bury him in Canaan, you know, in the cave. He says, show me this chesed and bury me in Canaan. 
And so chesed in that passage can be defined as fulfilling the wishes of Joseph's father uh, in his burial, you know? Uh, oftentimes, it's the strength of God. In fact, it's very interesting. Uh, there's this uh, article that I shared with the, uh, the class where this author is contending that strength is one of the primary meanings of chesed, strength, being strong. Uh, and so, you know, he quotes all these verses that says things like, by God's loving kindness, the king sustains, uh, you know, the king is sustained. And so uh, he says in the article, how can we just simply say by, the lo- by God's love he's sustained? It's by God's strength, by God's power, uh, you know, uh, God's intercession uh, uh, against the enemies. That's what chesed is. And chesed be, can be then pro- provision for people. Uh, you know, uh, so this goes on and on. Uh, and uh, it's, it's rather interesting. So here... Uh, in this uh, statement, we see certainly Torah and ritual service. Yes, the world stands on worship. I guess you could say that, like traditional kind of worship, you know, avodah, that kind of worship. Uh, and, and Torah, okay? And then deeds of chesed. So it tells you how important deeds of benevolence. That's a good word to get around the whole thing. Deeds of benevolence are that, how, how uh, that, that concept is valued in uh, Judaism, in the Jewish world. And that is why, I, one, you see, when it comes to like social issues, uh, oftentimes, I, if you uh, make the observation, a lot of Jewish people are involved in that kind of thing, Right? You know, well-known Jewish people that, that uh, speak on television and comment on things of that nature and, or uh, philanthropists or, you know, things of that nature because it's, it's just inbred whether people are reading the Torah, they're orthodox, or they just uh, live in the, uh, the ethos of the Jewish world that is based on, on uh, for example, uh, you know, Great passages in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, whether they realize it or not. Uh, you know, it, it's where it all uh, uh, comes from. Uh, and then, you know, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the 1800s, in the great uh, uh, immigration to the United States, right, when uh, millions of Jewish people uh, came to the U.S., that uh, who were they supported by? And how did they make it? They were supported by other Jewish people. And uh, uh, Jewish uh, organizations of uh, philanthropy—that uh, is how people made it. Th- this this sense of we have an obligation to our people, not just an obligation to our people. Uh, you know, Am Yisrael Chai with uh, sayings and uh, you know, and cheerleading and things like that, but with actual uh, help. That's why, you know, uh, long before the state of Israel came into being, what came into being was the Jewish National Fund, which exists to this day uh, in order, uh, you know, uh, worldwide for the diaspora uh, Jews around the world to take care of their own going to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's a very, very important value and a very important value for us. Uh, the concept, you know, of sharing and caring for one another. 
and, and, and having that sense of uh, responsibility. And the question is, Howard, that's all great, but what does it have to do with the book of Acts? Okay, well, it has a lot to do with it. So if we turn to the fourth chapter, we're almost to the end of chapter four, but there's a number of things to observe as well as lessons uh, to be uh, gained uh, here. Okay, so uh, where we left off, I was I when uh, I the when uh, Peter and John were uh, set free, uh, and they came uh, to the other uh, disciples, and they were all uh, you know you know rejoicing and and praying uh, that God would give them the confidence to speak with boldness uh, in the face of potential great danger. You know they were warned and. And, uh, and how they quote uh, the beginning of Psalm 2, and they apply it to everybody. Herod, Pontius Pilate, uh, you know, the, uh, is all the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Uh, all who had come against the, the, this remnant of Israel, the, the, the apostles. Uh, and they recognized that... Uh, uh, you know, this was all part of the hand of God, and God was bringing this all to pass. And so uh, they prayed, and they prayed that, again, that God would give them uh, boldness, right? Uh, speaking the word with confidence, it says. It says in verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy bondservants may speak the word with all confidence. Remember what we said last time? If it was you and me, we'd be praying, Lord, stop them. Stop them from oppressing us, Lord. Save our lives. You know, they're praying, let us speak the word with boldness, no matter what happens. You know, that's where their hearts were at. Not about self-protection, but about their calling. You know, wow, what, what role models uh, they are for us. And then we see in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Ruach, and began to speak the word of God with, with boldness. So this is, just right there is, is, is very interesting, uh, in that here they, they prayed, and they prayed, you know, they prayed with boldness and for boldness, and what you have in a sense is almost like a second pouring out of, of the Ruach, you know? They were all filled with the Spirit. But look what they're doing. What are they doing? They're speaking the word of God with boldness. This is what they had prayed, and this is what it meant to be filled with the, the Ruach, to speak the word of God with boldness. Remember what we uh, observe, observed in chapter 2 a number of weeks ago? Uh, when we talked about, you know, you know it's, when, when you read about the pouring out of the, of the Ruach and, and how the Galileans were speaking and every, all those other Jews from all those diaspora places understood what they were saying, and this was the great miracle, you know, of, uh, of, of uh, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, right? And then uh, we asked the question, but you know what we usually never really focus on is, what were they saying? You know, what was it that they were saying? Not just the fact that this great miracle of understanding took place, but understanding what, you know? And uh, so isn't it interesting that we actually, um, that, that we actually uh, have uh, what uh, they were, uh, what they were saying. 
Uh, and it says uh, here, uh, here we are, in verse uh, 11 of Acts chapter 2, after Cretans and Arabs, it says, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. There's the answer. They were speaking the mighty deeds of God. You know, uh, of course, what are the mighty deeds of God in this context? Uh, may I suggest uh, the resurrection of Yeshua, uh, you know, and, and, and what was taking place. And the focus on Yeshua, the focus on the resurrection, the focus on sharing about the, uh, the kingship of Messiah Yeshua and that he has been raised from the, the one who they thought was dead has been raised from the dead. And so kind of interesting how there in verses um, 30 and 31, uh, you have them praying, the Ruach is poured out upon them, uh, and man, they're speaking the word of God with boldness. But there's more, just like in Acts chapter 2. Uh, there's more. What happens? What happens after that fact? What, 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 how did the, these early Jewish Messiah followers handle themselves? What, how did they live, right? And so uh, you see here in verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all were common property to them. And with a great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they, and they would be uh, distributed to each as had need. And we can stop there. Uh, and so uh, we see here that there was this great uh, true community taking place you know, as evidenced by their love and concern uh, for, uh, for one another. And just like in chapter 2, you know, after all was said and done, I, we see that uh, how this new community, and chapter 2 we called it, uh, we, we could refer to it as a spirit community, that within the Jewish world there was now this we could say ruach community, spirit community of people who were organic, spiritually, organically connected uh, uh, by Yeshua, right? Via the ruach, via the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that they functioned uh, in a community. And in chapter 2, what Luke does is he emphasizes this. Uh, it's very similar but it begins with, they were in verse 42 of chapter 2, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with, uh, you know, uh, with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So he begins there with 
I, you know, they were listening to the apostles' teaching. They had fellowship. Uh, they ate together. Uh, and here, the, communally, they would make sure that all the needs were met. Uh, and I said at that time, the tendency uh, for us in, in reading that is then to make like a list, like a list you can check off, you know, of particular things. That if we are an organic spirit community, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. And I, I suggested there, and I'll say it again here, that here we see a snapshot of how the first, very first community uh, uh, functioned. The first thing we need to get from that is not some laundry list of things we better make sure we're checking off the list, but that they were indeed communal, that they functioned as one, that they were not a bunch of individuals coming together because they believed the same thing, and then from time to time thought it might be a good thing to be helpful to one another. But their whole identity was as a community, as this messianic community. This was their identity. And they saw themselves, as Paul later says in Romans chapter 12, members one of another. And they uh, recognized immediately, uh, you know, this uh, responsibility, gimilut chasidim. And what's interesting is this action, was not something that was uh, unheard of in, in, in the Jewish world. But now they were able to practice this in a way that was not uh, legalistic, not, uh, you know, uh, having a, a group of uh, religious uh, uh, people telling them, you better do this or you better do that. But it was coming from, uh, you know, it was coming from their kishkas, you might say. It was coming from their inward parts, because they had been filled with the Spirit, and the demonstration of being filled with the Spirit was not some kind of personal self-fulfillment. It was not. It was speaking the Word of God with boldness, and it was love as deed being expressed. Okay? And, and so uh, when we look at this here in uh, chapter 4, there's, uh, there's a few things we want to uh, take notice of. One is... You know, it's interesting when you read uh, commentaries uh, on this. Many, but not all, uh, will say that uh, this uh, expression of uh, uh, communal life comes from the teachings of Greek philosophers, uh, of the value of friendship, and that they were demonstrating this in, in their community. So I thought to myself, and you know, that's rather interesting. Why would these early Jewish Jerusalem Jews, not even Hellenistic, uh, you know, Jews, these Jerusalem Jews, why would they uh, uh, view their responsibility to one another in the coming of a Messiah of Israel that now they can fulfill uh, what Greek philosophers uh, find valuable? You know, that, that's an interesting question. Now, you can ask that question, especially if you disassociate the, uh, the meaning of uh, the book of Acts, especially the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, from the restoration of Israel and simply the birth of the church. You can easily uh, come to that, uh, you know, uh, idea or conclusion. But just like in chapter 2, 
where you see this, uh, you know, Jews from, so to speak, the four corners of the earth, from all over coming to Jerusalem, you know, uh, and being filled with the Spirit, what we're seeing is the beginnings of the Olam Haba, the beginnings of the end as, as demonstrated for us. And this, is the, and this is how Luke writes it, and this is why he writes it, uh, to show that uh, here what uh, Israel had hoped for is beginning to come to pass. Now, what's interesting is that when you read the Torah, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, we see, uh, you know, how we often will view it as, uh, here you have like a second, a second, uh, a repetition of the, of the laws. A repetition of the law. Okay, so uh, may I suggest it's not exactly a repetition of the laws. All right? What it is, it's taking what uh, Moses said in Exodus and Leviticus, and now he sort of fashions it all almost like a vision statement. A vision statement of this is how you're supposed to live. This is how life is supposed to be, you know, uh, when you enter uh, the land. And what do we read about? We read about uh, uh, human dignity. We read about how uh, leaders, especially kings, uh, are to know the Torah and to, serve, and to be servants. We read about due process. We read about getting people out of debt. We read about uh, 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 taking care of the needy and the poor and the widow and the orphan. You read about it in Exodus and Leviticus, no doubt, right? But Moses puts it together in such a way that this is how you're supposed to live. And then there's even an eschatology. There's even a section at the end of Deuteronomy that's, and after all these things, you know, uh, this is how it will be. And when you read, for example, uh, when you read uh, uh, Deuteronomy 29 to the end, and then you read passages, oh, uh, like uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, you know, uh, or uh, passages on the, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and elsewhere, you see that Paul, in the way that he wrote, he understood that what it said there in Deuteronomy, that's what Yeshua did, and that's beginning to happen. When he talks about being circumcised of heart and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And so I, I would suggest to us that what we read here at the end of chapter 4 of Acts is not looking to Greek philosophers uh, for the value of living this way, but to the Torah itself, which pointed to the future and said, this is, this is what it means to live God's way. So, uh, for example, when you turn to uh, Deuteronomy, first in uh, the Shema, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I just want us to remember a couple of words here. You know, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay? And then, he, then it goes on to say, and these words that I'm commanding you shall be on your, your heart. Okay? Shall be on your heart. Okay, just remember that part. All right? Now, uh, go over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30. After, you know, Moses says, uh, you know what's going to happen. You're going to enter the land and and you're going to ultimately disobey and God is going to judge you and you're going to have to leave the land. But remember that God's not done with you yet. It's a discipline. But you will indeed return. Okay? So it says, uh, you know, that in chapter 30 that they're going to return. And then uh, uh, as well as bringing the people back from captivity, from the four corners of the earth, it says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30 in verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. Does that remind you of what we just read in the Shema? I hope so. Because what he's saying is, and in that day, I'm going to cause you to live out the Shema. I'm going to cause you to love God with every ounce of your being. But he uses the phrase, with all of your heart and all of your soul. Deuteronomy 6.5, all of your heart, all of your soul. Okay? Now, now you keep your finger. We're going to go back to, to another place in Deuteronomy. But let's now go all the way back to Acts chapter 4. Now, this may be a reason why it might be helpful to actually use a Bible. Because if you're on your thing, you're, you're like, wait a minute. Right? How do I get back to Acts 4? Right? I don't know. Okay. So in Acts 4, notice what it says about the people. Notice what it says about the people. In verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were what? Of one heart and one soul. Of one heart and one soul. The Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that when that day comes when I circumcise your heart, then you will be able to love me with all your heart and with all your soul. So may I suggest that the background of this little section of Acts chapter 4 is the Shema and that Luke is describing for us in this organic spirit community, this is how the Shema becomes demonstrated. This is how now that our hearts are circumcised in Messiah Yeshua, how God has done this open-heart surgery on us when we embrace the Messiah and the Ruach comes to live, uh, live in us, when the Torah is placed on our inward parts, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 31 about the, the new covenant, uh, you know, and, and as it says uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will give you my spirit and cause you to walk in my statutes. This is how that plays out. It plays out by being bold, speaking about the resurrection of the Messiah unashamedly. Uh, and, but then we see here that all those who believed they were living out the Shema, they were of one heart and one soul. And what does that mean? Does it mean they were just singing songs and it was really beautiful and, and I just felt so lifted up, uh, you know, and just, I was so touched. But no, it means that they, they, so to speak, went to work caring for one another. That's what it means. And that is of great, that is gimilut chasidim, spirit-filled, that they were caring for, for one another. So, first of all, when it says they were of one heart and one soul. Okay, what does that mean, they were of one heart and one soul? They were all in a, agreement 
They were all one. They were one in, in Messiah. Doesn't it remind you of so many other uh, passages uh, that we read later on? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that, you know, when you read uh, in the letters of Paul, he was so greatly influenced by the apostles, by the other apostles, and the teachings of the apostles. It's, it's really fascinating. Because in uh, Philippians, for example, just an example, Philippians in chapter 2, okay, he says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any consolation in love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection, any compassion, and he's saying there is. I, we don't have time to break this whole thing down. But he's saying there, are, there is these things uh, you know, in, uh, in Messiah Yeshua. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. All right, so what does that mean? Oh, aren't we blessed to know that he tells us what he means? He says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And then he goes on to use Yeshua as the ultimate demonstration uh, of, of that. Uh, in a passage like uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, which we uh, mentioned a second ago, but uh, that is a great, uh, a great passage there, when he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So being transformed has something to do with a worldview, with the way we think, and therefore the way that we act out. We live in, an, we live in a culture, in a particular culture, in our culture, in this in North America, whatever you want to call it, Western world, I don't know. But, at least here, in our environment, that we are very individualistic and that our faith is very individualized. Me and my relationship with God and nothing else really matters. That is not what it's about. That is taking, we might call that the Judeo-Christian ethic, which is not, nor, it is not Judeo nor Christian. But it is certainly an ethic, uh, okay? Uh, and uh, Because the reality is, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, the value is living in community. And the only way that we can really walk with the Lord is in community. And so, if, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm a member, but I show up once every six weeks. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm on the rolls or, uh, you know, or, or anything like that. It means that, that I'm in, you know, I'm part of it. I'm a living in it. Uh, and that is, a, that is a worldview. That is a mindset that leads to a particular kind of action. So uh, he goes on uh, uh, to say, uh, I'm just going to jump here to verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. We who are many are one body in Messiah. Now, Marty Getz didn't write those words, but he sings a great song about them. Okay. Yeah, so we who are many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. And we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let's exercise them accordingly. Prophecy according to proportion of faith. Service in his serving. Teaching in his teaching. Exhorting, exhorting, and so on and so forth. 
Okay? The point, though, is, is not, again, to make a laundry list of, well, which one am I? No, we're missing the point. The point is that we're in. We're members one of another. And however God shows us benevolence and the ability to serve, that's how we serve, you know? Uh, and, and how important, indeed, is that in very practical, uh, in very uh, practical ways? Okay, so now getting back here to Acts chapter 4, there's a particular passage in Deuteronomy that really applies to this particular description. And that's in the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy. And uh, I, whenever I teach our Torah course uh, or anything related to Deuteronomy, I like to turn to this passage because it really gives us a demonstration. It's an example of how what we read about the laws in Deuteronomy is really a vision of a way of life in the future, yet sort of like the present, but not yet. You know, like this is how it's supposed to be, but this is how we deal with it right now. Okay, so chapter 15 is all about relieving debt, helping people economically in varieties of ways. Okay, all right. Uh, so uh, at the beginning, it says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debt. And this is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor uh, uh, and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall, be, uh, shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. So that's a great, that, that is a great example of a vision statement. There shall be no poor among you, okay? That's the goal. That, that's like the vision. The vision of life in the land with God as king and, uh, and people living obediently. That's the vision, okay? There shall be no poor among you. Uh, but now, go down uh, to uh, verse 11. Okay, we don't have time to, you know, <laughs> exegete the whole chapter. Uh, verse 11. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. See verse 11 of Deuteronomy 15. The poor, for the poor will never cease to be. But it says in verse 4, there shall be no poor among you. So verse 4, that's the vision. In the meantime, we see here the admonition is, there's always going to be poor, so you always need to freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor uh, in your uh, land. That is a great value of Jewish philanthropy, I mean, to this very day, you, you know? But here in chapter 15, we see the perfection, and then we see that, you know, the, the, the present, uh, with, with that in mind, with that vision in view, this is how we're to conduct ourselves. Uh, uh, okay, so here we see uh, uh, that they, uh, they, they, who, those who believe were of one heart, one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. All things were common property to them. Okay? Uh, and the apostles were preaching, right? And, and abundant grace 
came upon them. May I suggest here that abundant grace, another great word, a Hebrew word, would be chesed. The benevolence of God came upon them. Okay? Upon them all. Upon, you know, uh, from God. The grace of God. The, the, the loving kindness of God. The benevolence of God came upon all of them. And then it says, for there was not a needy person among them. Isn't it interesting the way, that's the way Luke writes that? The words he uses to write it? There was not a needy person among them. On your own time, go back to chapter 15. Uh, and in verse uh, uh, 4 of Deuteronomy, and it says, there shall not be a needy person among you. It's like Luke takes that part of that verse and says, this is that. This is happening, you know? It's not perfect. No, it's not perfect because just like in Yeshua, just like what Moses writes, you know, the vision is the perfection. But we do, we do what we're called to do to get there, you know? Uh, but, it, you know, in God's time, uh, that will come. So here we see like a paradigm, this model of the earliest uh, Messiah followers. Most of them were poor. There were a few landowners among them. Uh, but they realized that in this spirit community, they belonged to one another. They were members of one another. And here... Uh, you know, it's like the vision of Deuteronomy, the circumcised heart. Now we're filled with the Ruach and we can love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. And the way that we're going to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul is to love our people with all our heart and all our soul. That's how we're going to do it. And so they're demonstrating their love of God. They're living out Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 uh, here uh, in their uh, lives. Okay, uh, and they uh, so they they took the proceeds and they laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as any had need. Now, you know, uh, you know, this is not the end of the story of the early Messiah followers. We a few chapters later, things get a little more more complicated. And the fact is, once once more people come to know Messiah, and more different kinds of people come to know Messiah. It gets complicated, okay? Read chapter 6. Read chapter 6. We have to solve a problem here about people feeling neglected. And why is that? And how we, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. And then later on, what's going, what we're going to see uh, uh, taking place, you know, uh, just by observation. Uh, for example, Lydia, you know, she was a wealthy woman, right? What does she do? She opens up her home. Right? And the believers uh, begin to uh, meet there. She shows great hospitality. Later on, though, we, we see that the congregations in Asia Minor, that they, uh, they not only are concerned for themselves, but what else are they concerned for? They're concerned for the Mishpacha in Jerusalem. Because what's going to happen is it's going to get very difficult for that congregation in Jerusalem. And the congregations in faraway places that don't know anything about Jerusalem. People, you know, in Ephesus that have never been to Jerusalem, or Corinth, never been to Jerusalem. They are, they are taking collections that are going to be picked up and brought to Jerusalem. See? So there was a sense, not only uh, in the immediate Kehillah, but in, in a sort of a universal kind of way, a concern for, uh, for one another. And so what we see at the very beginning here, this is a demonstration of what we call wholehearted 
love of a God, you know? So how does this play out? Well, when we say it gets a little bit more complicated, not only do we see how the different congregations function in their giving, but when Paul uh, gives instructions to Timothy and Titus, but especially to Timothy, he talks about this, about how a congregation functions, and he says, you got to make sure you're taking care of the widows, okay? So who are widows? Widows were were women who had lost their husband, but it's not like today's world where you have like social agencies and this and that. They, were, they would be nowhere. They would have nothing. But he gives a very interesting little uh, instruction here. He says, now you need to take care of widows, but you need to make sure they're really widows. Make sure that they don't have other family who's supposed to be taking care of them. And if they do, you go to those family members and you tell them they need to be taking care of their family. Okay? And then when he talks about, you know, helping others... He says, now make sure, though, that people that can work are working, right? Make sure that, and he says, if if someone refuses to work, it's worse than being an unbeliever. Someone who doesn't provide for their family, worse than an unbeliever. That's what he says, right? So the point is, is that when we say all these things, we are saying that everybody is acting according to the will of God and filled with the Ruach, that those who have need uh, really have a need, and the, you know, and the community meets the need. People don't take advantage of the need, you know? Now, because we're thinking in our heads, like, you know, about the world around us, right? And that, uh, yeah, but people are always asking for money, right? I mean, I'm sure that if we did a Torah study on Deuteronomy 15, that would come up. I just know it. That would come up. Well, where do you draw the line? Where do you, you know, all of that kind of thing. Uh, And the reality is, is that when we try to legislate it, it never works. When we try to legislate it and make it happen, it doesn't work because you have unredeemed people needy and unredeemed people giving. And and while in and of itself it's helpful, but, you know, it's not how this is functioning. This is functioning because people are in the spirit community. People are filled with the ruach. And so everybody is functioning the way they're supposed to function. And wouldn't it be wonderful if the world around us could look at us and say, wow, that's how, that's everything we want. It's, it's, it's everything that, you know, people uh, are having their needs met. People are joyously, joyfully giving, joyfully helping people. No one feels like there's a millstone around their neck or there's a tax you know, that, I, that, that I'm paying, but I'm joyfully worshiping God in my giving and caring for other people. And, and so that, that's how, what is our takeaway from this? I hope that we're loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul, and therefore it plays out that we're loving one another with all of our heart and all of our soul. And it, and it comes out in our self-sacrifice, in giving, in, in caring for one another. But caring for one another, you know, here in our context means giving. Giving to the, giving to the general fund. Giving so that we, you know, uh, have a place uh, to worship. That the needs of uh, the congregation are met. Because they're all about the needs of the people. There's nothing here that we don't do that doesn't have to do with that's betterment for people in whatever we do. And so... We need to look at this and say, wow, you know, I, am I really uh, in giving, giving of finances? And the reason I say that is because that's where we really say, I give my time, but I'm not so sure 
about my finances. You know, but I'll give my time. Well, what you see here is example after example of financial generosity and of financial uh, sacrifice. So you see all over the Brit the widow's might, you know? Uh, 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 and it's coming up <laughs> that this was a very imperfect community, just, uh, uh, you know, like in the world we live in, because next week we're going to see a description of two people. Well, two people and one people. Two people and one person, right? Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. What's the difference, right? Uh, and that is what Luke is getting at. The, the story of Ananias and Sapphira are in the context of this is the opposite of Barnabas. And we're going to see that. But for us, may we take this to heart, uh, you know, and may we be uh, a community. And you know we are. I mean, we uh, support one another in, uh, you know, in fabulous ways. And we really do give sacrificially. But let us not sit on our, on our blessings and let us be challenged. Let us be challenged in our support of one another, our support of the congregation. You know, uh, and may it be reflected in our giving and in our joyful, joyful giving, joyful service, because all of it is worship, right? Because it's a demonstration of loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul, soul and with all of our might. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what we get here, and that's what we see uh, uh, taking place, this great value. And, and may it indeed be our value. So when we talk about being a community that loves the Lord, filled with the Ruach, may it be demonstrated in our communal identity and care for the congregation at large, care for one another. Uh, and uh, may that be indeed a challenge uh, and an encouragement uh, for us. Because as we walk with God, God will give us opportunity. He'll give us the means. Uh, and we will truly be able to demonstrate in love, word, and deed what it means to be a messianic Jewish congregation uh, centered on Messiah, Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you, God, for this uh, great uh, model for us. And may it be true of us. Uh, Lord, or I should say, may it continue to be true of us. Uh, Lord, thank you, God, that, um, that we are uh, stewards of all that you give us. And Lord, uh, we pray, God, uh, for all of us here, that we would just have that mindset, Lord, of being members one of another, members of one another, not members of an institution, not members of an organization, but members of each other. Lord, whether we're regular attenders, members, or whatever, as long as we're here. Lord, and I pray, God, that we would take that responsibility seriously, and that as part of our worship, we would give so that we can uh, serve one another, so that we can um, take care of uh, this place and be a good testimony and be able to provide opportunities of learning and opportunities of worship and opportunities of fellowship. Lord, may we be a people that care for one another. God, may we be people that give to our benevolence and that are concerned for one another. May we be people that are just concerned for people, Lord God, 
And may just in our daily lives, we be able to demonstrate that in caring uh, or demonstrating care in some way to the people around us. Yes, here, the, the context of what we're talking about is the community uh, in our community. But God, may we also be able to demonstrate that as a spirit community to the outside world. May we be able to do that individually and communally and uh, a God. And, and may people see it and see that there really is something different uh, here. God, may we uh, truly see ourselves not primarily as individuals, but may we see ourselves as part of a part of a community, that we are more than ourselves, that we are more than our own needs. And Lord, may we grow up in all aspects to be a mature, uh, a mature uh, a community, Lord, with Yeshua as our head and according to the proper working of each individual part. We all have that responsibility, Lord. And uh, may we uh, take that and fulfill it, we pray in Messiah's name.